And welcome to another My Investing Story. Hi, my name is Ann McNeil and I am the master builder helping you to build a stronger and better life and business. And today, again, we are bringing you the very best on behalf of hashtag My Investing Story. Iona McNeil and myself are volunteers with the Better Investing Organization, which is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization that has helped over 5 million individual investors from all walks of life learn how to improve their financial future. I call it financial empowerment because we are empowering people with financial information for financial education. But today, our special guest, um, is a very special guest and I want to mm-hmm. say that because we we are actually doing business together but I wanted to just make sure that I shared with you a little about our organization so we'll get to our guests but Ioni and I are volunteers with the Southeast Florida chapter of Better Investing we are not stockbrokers we're not selling anything we are not day traders uh, we are not investing or suggesting penny stocks or anything like that Our goal here is to bring you financial information and stories from regular individual investors from all walks of life. And so to introduce our special guest to you today, Mr. Gerald Grant, uh, I would have to say Gerald Grant the third. Yes, Gerald Grant the third, growing up with his father in the financial services industry uh, Gerald Grant II is actually our financial planner, actually. And uh, Gerald Grant, both father and son, have um, basically, I would say, invested their time, talents, and treasure in providing financial literacy information. Uh, and from a very young age, Gerald Grant III is going to share his story, but I think it's just an amazing way to live and leave a legacy. So with that, I'm going to introduce none other than my awesome uh, co-partner here on this show, Miss Ioni McNeil. How are you today, Ioni? I'm good, thank you. Awesome, awesome. So it's all on you. Hey, Gerald, what's going on, man? Hey, how you doing? Good, good. Now you said um, you're back down in Miami. when did you leave D.C.? So I left D.C. in 2016. So I've been down here in Miami uh, since then. Uh, I moved back down to help my dad with the practice. So I've been here since. Um, now that things are are going pretty well, I've got my uh, stripes under my belt. We're actually expanding offices up to the D.C. area. Um, so, yeah, we're getting ready to, ready to relocate back up that way, me and my wife. Okay. How soon you think y'all uh, um, move back up there? So in a matter of, by the end of the year, right now we have oh, a contract wow. on a place that's supposed to close in a couple of weeks um, and then slowly start the transition. And probably uh, towards the end of the, um, about December, we're kind of waiting on, because I don't know if you know, I just had a, a baby, so. See, I can tell so, with the, the <laughs> Yeah, with all the, yeah, that's she. she when, when, was, when was she born? Uh, she was born August 13th. Oh, so, wow, so okay. It should be eight weeks on Thursday. Okay, okay. Yeah, so okay. we're waiting on her to kind of build up our immune system, finish out the, uh, thank you, thank you, um, finish out uh, my wife's maternity leave and whatnot, and then we'll, we'll move up right after that. Okay, cool. I, 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 I'm sorry, Yana, as a grandparent, I have to ask this question. Y'all just have to bear with me. So is your dad really gonna let this granddaughter go? Mm, it was a tough battle, but uh, it, unfortunately, it, it had to happen. My my mom is probably more. Uh, uh, she's probably hurting more than my dad. She'll probably be on the flight with you when you leave. Yeah, she's been over here almost every single day since <laughs> she was born. So she's getting in her uh, her time in advance before. <laughs> nice. Well. 
Well, yeah, congratulations. Um, you know, in the introduction, we, we said that you are Gerald Grant III. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, how was it to actually be born into a family where one, your father is an entrepreneur, but not just any old entrepreneur. He's a financial planner. Um, he's money conscious, success conscious. Uh, how was it growing up in, in that type of um, environment and household for you as a child? How did it, it shape your um, perspective, development, um, and, and relationship to money? So it was good in, in more ways than not, um, but it does come with with some, some caveats to it, right? So we grew up learning about money at a young age and learning um, what it takes to be successful, not only by example, but by, by him making us do things, right? Whether it's uh, little things around the house that teach us concepts of responsibility and, and learning how to do things, being good stewards. He, he may give you an allowance, but you can't just blow it. You know what I mean? So. Uh, all of those lessons that you get at a young age that you sometimes take for granted um, came along with it. But then growing up for me, I, I kind of faced a, uh, a battle of being Gerald Grant's son, right? Because uh, everybody knows my dad has a pretty prominent uh, footprint in the Miami community because of his involvement, et cetera. So for me, I wanted to do my own thing. So being young and rebellious, uh, at a time when you may not realize what you have in front of you and opportunities uh, that came along with growing up in that family of, of success and, and the push for me to do things certain ways that in hindsight, it was good advice, but as a child, you, you, you tend to be more rebellious when you shouldn't be. Um, but I definitely, a lot of the lessons and things that I received growing up and paid dividends uh, to, to, to this point in my life. So definitely appreciate those lessons and, and whatnot growing up. Yeah, you make a really good point. I think that it's, um, it's interesting how, you know, even the Bible says that you train up a child in the way they should go. And when they get old, they won't depart. But really it's about planting seeds. I call it a, mm -hmm. a backsliding period. You know, we all have it for whatever it is, whether it be health, whether it be money. Um, but I think that just getting that education in your formative years, at least when you finally do wake up or have the scales uncovered from your eyes, you know where to go. Mm -hmm. So um, talk to us about, you know, how you try to chart your own path. You know, what did you think you were going to do and you're probably in your early 30s. So, you know, when did you kind of come back around and, and recognize that you wanted to uh, be in this field of um, yeah. financial education and financial planning? Yeah, so it's funny that you asked that because for me growing up, I always went on appointments with my dad when I was real little. I always interned almost every single summer when I was in high school. I even interned like a few summers in college and I was doing things, but I wasn't really doing, I wasn't a financial planner at those times, right? Like I would do paperwork or I may sit in a meeting, but not really paying attention, just being a kid. And I didn't really understand the value. So back then I was like, man, that stuff is boring. And I was like, yeah, it's cool. He makes a lot of money, but it's boring. Uh, so for me, I was like, I don't want to do that. I grew up playing sports. So I always either wanted to be an athlete or work in sports. And I want to say my uh, sophomore year in college, I had a couple internships. I used to intern. And you went to Hampton? Yeah, I went to Hampton. In Virginia, so, okay. Yeah, so I used to intern a little bit with, with various uh, sports. I had an internship with the Orange Bowl uh, when I used to come home for the breaks. And then I looked at getting sports internships while I was at Hampton. And it got to a point where I used to see the kid, the people that were working at the Orange Bowl, and like majority of the interns, they were doing it for free. And then even the people that did have a job that were there, um, they had to really work hard to get to a point where you can maintain that lifestyle. And I remember one lesson that my dad told me when I was like my sophomore, junior year, he was like, you can either, um, he said, you can do something real fun or you can do something that you may not think is as fun. And then you can afford to do the things that you want in your off time for fun. Woo! Get home with me.
And Wait, can, you um, say, can you say that again, please? Just in case somebody missed it on the social media. <laughs> he said, uh, you can do something that's fun or you can do something that may not be as fun that you enjoy um, that can give you the income that you need to afford to do the things that you want that are fun. So that really hit home for me. And um, that's when I was, I was still in my rep, in my rebellious uh, days at that time. So that's when I was like, all right, I don't want to go in sports because I'm probably not going to be able to maintain the lifestyle I want to live. So at that point, that's when I transitioned uh, to take a job at corporate America. And I went to, I worked at Deloitte for about three years. And at that time I was doing tech consulting and I enjoyed it. But one of the things for me was because it was a technology driven environment, I had to do so much just to remain competitive because I have a business background. So for me, it was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff and they want me to learn all these coding languages and it's not really enjoyable for me. And then the other thing that really hit home for me was I worked in DC and my, my project was in Maryland and my partner was from Chicago, but he was in DC from Monday through Thursday and he had kids in high school with games and et cetera and whatnot. And I was like, I know for a fact, that's not the lifestyle I want to live when I'm his age. So at that point I started doing some soul searching and I prayed about it and God brought me back home. And I've been back here since 2016 and I've had the flexibility uh, to create my own business uh, within the firm, the flexibility to, for example, my daughter was born. I took off the last, the first six weeks of her life to stay home with my with my wife while she's also on maternity leave. So it's not too many careers that you can have flexibility, create your own time, all of those things. So everything that I wanted to do while still being able to impact others while I do it was in this career. And that's when I, that's what I found in 2016. And ever since then, I've really realized the impact and uh, the freedom that I have. And since then, I've never looked back. That's nice. Uh, one of the things that that your history is actually reminding of, right, reminding me of is how much we take for granted. Mm -hmm. And so just because, you know, you are the child of somebody that was in the finance industry or, or is an entrepreneur and and is also a financial planner. Um, were you doing things on your own as a kid? Uh, how how young were you? when you remember investing on your own? Because I think sometimes when you come from a privileged background or your parents wanna do the best for you or do the best by you, they end up doing things for you without keeping you in the loop. So kind of mm -hmm. talk to us about how your mother and father kept you in the loop of things. And then when you started to do um, investing and stuff like that on your own. Yeah, yeah. So. Um... So yeah, that's a good point because we see that often, like when you come from money, like you, you don't want to expose the kids too much because you don't want to spoil them. Um, but at the same token, like you said, it creates that sense of you're doing too much for them where they're not really learning those concepts that they need to be successful. So I think my parents did a good job of like blending the two. Like I wasn't doing the most at a young age, but they did give me opportunities to learn and explore different opportunities. For example, at a very young age, they set up um, they set up uh, savings accounts for me and my sister. So we would save when we got Christmas gifts and different things like that. And the other thing, at a young age, we we each had our own TD Ameritrade account where we can buy whatever stocks we wanted. So with the money that we we saved, we can buy what we wanted. And I just remember at a young age, my dad always told me the first way to learn about investing is buy things that you like. So back then, I loved sneakers. So I, I bought Nike at a young age and I, I didn't like Home Depot, but my dad used to take me there so much. I was like, I probably should buy this. So I bought Home Depot at a young age and just, um, just starting with little things like that, that I knew um, was where I started that journey of investing. Excellent, excellent. So would you, um, even outside of your profession, your career, your business, um, how would you describe you as an investor and your philosophy um, as an investor? So for me right now, I'm very, I'm very passive and long-term driven. Like the one thing that grinds my gears, especially through COVID is this uproar of everybody wants to trade options, everybody man, rich overnight and, and whatnot. And I think it's, 
you may make some money and you may learn how to do it, but in the long run, I think you're going to lose a lot more than, than you'll gain if you don't really understand the concepts, right? Because when you think about most people trade options as a way to hedge against investments, not as a primary investment. Um, but nowadays, it's so sexy and attractive and it's something new and people are making a lot of money uh, that they don't understand the difference between trading and investing. So for me, I like to take a more long-term approach. Everything that I do now is very systematic. It's I don't really own a lot of individual uh, holdings. Majority of the stuff that I own is in mutual funds. Um, and I'm trying to diversify into some other asset classes, but for me, I'm very, I'm very passive and I don't do a lot of active trading and active, active management. Excellent. So my next question um, still on this topic is, do you invest regularly? If so, is it weekly, monthly? Um, and I'm asking these questions because most of the people listening are new to investing. They want to learn how to be a long-term investor. Um, and as you know, we're uh, Better Investing volunteers. So we promote um, investing regularly, you know, regardless mm -hmm. of what the, what the market is doing. And I don't know if you still own Nike and Home Depot, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, you can also talk to the returns you've seen probably over the years of, of, of watching something little grow into something um, much more. Yeah, so I actually, I had to sell it when I joined the firm in 2016 because you have to register all your outside. Yeah. Accounts. And mm -hmm. I was like the hassle of doing all that for the amount of money that was in there, I just liquidated it and let it go. But I wish I still had my Nike stock. Um, but as far as investing, my, my philosophy is invest early and invest often. And people, you hear it often, regardless, you listen to many of the greats who talk about investing and philosophies, you have to invest early, invest often, uh, even with your children, starting them young. And regardless of wherever you're at in our life, in your lives, my dad likes to use the saying, today's the first day of the rest of your life. So treat today as, it doesn't matter what you didn't do in the past, it's about what you can do from here on out. So as far as what I do, I'm putting aside something at least every month um, because for me, we take a very passive approach. Like I, I, I believe in, in having a strong emergency savings before you start investing, because if you invest too early without emergency savings, you're going to end up tapping into it. And it's almost like the people on the, on the highway in the cars where you're sitting in rush hour traffic and you're going from lane to lane, but you end up at the same point as a person that was just driving. Exactly straight line. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely having that strong emergency fund. But once you get to a solid emergency fund of three to six times, you should be investing everything over that and free and often because at the end of the day, your money's got to keep up with inflation. So if you're not investing it, it's losing money. So I definitely believe in having that foundation, but too much liquidity can cost you money. Very much so. And I like that. Um, invest early, invest often. Um, what do you do in order to um, educate yourself regularly? And, and I want your honest answer because, you know, like you said, we're right now living through um, not necessarily a generation, but definitely through some times where people really don't know the difference between trading and investing. Mm -hmm. And if your foundation is solid, uh, to me, you don't have to do that much work, which I think goes to your point of being a long term passive investor. Um, so just talk to us about um, how did you educate yourself on um, on what you know, just as a general investor, not necessarily specific to needing to be a financial planner, but, you know, to the regular, you know, Joe or Mary that's listening, um, what could they do? What resources could they use to, to, to better their knowledge, their knowledge base? Yeah, so there's definitely a tons of books out there that you can learn. Um, that talk about uh, just basic investing and basic finances. I think before you even start investing, you should just have a basic understanding of financial uh, literacy, understanding a budget, understanding saving. All of those things are so important and so crucial before you even start investing. I like to use the analogy. It's like people love trying to, people love to do the sexy stuff like investing before they learn the foundation. But the problem is without the foundation, the sexy stuff will never work. It's like, I like for any, if there's any sports fans, I like to use the analogy of football, right? So 
when you think of if any whatever side of the ball you play on, they teach you either block or tackle. Regardless of what play you run, if you don't block or tackle, it's not going to work. Your blocking and tackling is your emergency funds, your savings, your budgeting, and then the sexy play calls is the investing. But if you do the first two right, it don't matter what you invest in, you're going to make money because you're going to have more and you is if you if you have it in the right if you have it in the right stocks or if you just put in a regular uh, a mutual fund or index fund, you'll make money over the long term and understanding those fundamentals. Um, so there's definitely a lot of books out there, Richest Man in Babylon, it teaches you um, the basics, um, the uh, build, uh, how to build, uh, how to create financial wealth by my dad. There's a, there's a bunch of resources out there that you can use um, to kind of learn. And then if you want to get a little bit more details, I know one thing that I, I refer some clients to that want to learn just about the basics of investing. I know Morningstar has a financial classroom that talks about the basics of understanding asset classes, how to invest. It's a good free resource that you can take advantage of to just learn the fundamentals of investing. Excellent, excellent. Um, my other question really is, when somebody comes to see you and, and I want you to pick whatever scenario um, that, 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 that you think will resonate the most, but what is one of the most frequent um, missed things when somebody schedules an appointment with you and, and they want to get on the right track? Because um, I think sometimes we get blindsided with, like what you said, you know, blocking and tackling, taking care of the little stuff. But is there something else that kind of blindsides us despite it being right in front of us? As far as overall finances and things that they should be doing or as far as meeting with a financial professional? Uh, the, the former, the first one. Um, I think the, the thing that really blindsides the most people is, um, everybody thinks they got to come in there with their stuff together. Like people don't like to have a messy home and, and open up and say, Hey, I need help. Like that's the first side. Like people don't go to the doctor when they're healthy. You go to the doctor cause you're sick and you want to cure. So the same thing in the financial realm. Like you don't have to have it all together. Like it's okay. You'd be surprised. There's tons of people who don't have their majority of the people that come to see me don't have their stuff together. So you're not the only one. So um, not being ashamed to have that conversation and just understanding that, like I said earlier, today's the first day of the rest of your life. You can't change what you didn't do before, but you can change what you do from here on out. And today's a great day to start doing something different. Right. Um, and that's one thing that people, they're like, man, I got so much debt or man, I haven't invested and I'm 50. Man, I haven't put anything away from retirement. All right, so what are you gonna do tomorrow? How are you gonna start to carve out funds to put away for tomorrow? What are you gonna do to create additional income? Or what are you gonna do to decrease your expenses so now you have an extra $500 a month to save? And that's the biggest thing because a lot of times people think that they don't have the resources to do what they wanna do, but in actuality, all you got to do is shift a few things and you can make it happen. So I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions that people have. Like just because it's not together today doesn't mean you can't get it together tomorrow. Wow. Wow. I think that's excellent advice. And you, you really bring it home because you don't have to get stuck in the past. You mm. know, I mean, forgive yourself for what you don't know. You can't even hold yourself accountable for that. But like you said, I mean, today is the first day of the rest of your life. If you get started now, um, you know, you can really make some moves. And, and that brings me actually to another question, which is how do you see people, you know, potential clients, current clients, overestimate the time it takes to get right or underestimate the time they think um, they're going to get there? Because I find that when people are trying to get from here to there, they may um, they may do one or two of those things. You know, be unrealistic. Like, yeah. uh, oh, I'm starting from zero, but I want a million dollar portfolio in, mm -hmm. in five years. And then also like, oh well, 
I got this debt or I got such and such, it's going to take me 20 years to get out of it. So just, you know, if you could speak to both of those sides. Yeah, I mean, I think the the main thing is just setting a level, a level uh, expectation. I think either or it's just a, your expectations don't align with your reality. So um, for the clients that are overachievers, sometimes you just got to bring them back to earth. Like sometimes it, it just is what it is. And we tell clients, I'm not a miracle worker, but, and the numbers are what they are. You may not like the information, but these are what the numbers are. So these are the things that we can do differently to help get you there. Um, but it may not be as, as clear of a path as you think it is. And then for the clients that think that uh, it's gonna take a lot longer, for them, it's more of an encouragement. It's like, hey, if we're putting this plan in place, you thought it would've took this long, but if you do X, Y, and Z, you can actually get there a lot sooner. And then once you get there sooner, here's all the other things that you can do that you wanted to do. So for them, it's more of encouragement. And for the people who are, who think they're, uh, who have unrealistic expectations, it's, it's more about just bringing them back to reality and letting them know, hey, we gotta we gotta align reality with the expectations. I can't work miracles, uh, but we can help you achieve your goals. It may not be tomorrow, but we can get you there. Okay, cool. Miss um, Ann? Yes, I wanted to just remind everyone that may have just come on that we're talking tonight to a special, uh, he's special to me, especially because mm -hmm. uh, your dad and we have an account with you. And so today, I just wanna make sure everybody knows this is Gerald Grant III. If you're looking for someone to help you with your financial planning, no matter where you are in the United States, if he can't do it, he can hook you up, right, Gerald? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so he's our special guest tonight, but just a little bit more about him um, after a brief, stint in corporate America, corporate America, Gerald decided uh, to join his father in his practice, helping individuals create wealth that will last for generations. And that brings me to your shirt. Mm -hmm. You can share with us. Yes, share the shirt and then share with us. What is that about in terms of generational wealth? We yes, let me just stop there because I want to just make sure that we all understand that there's a difference in uh, having it now and leaving it. But for mm -hmm. also for those who may have just come on, um, we're talking about hashtag my investing story with Gerald Grant III. Better Investing is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization. I wanna just keep saying we're not selling any stocks, we're not selling any bonds, we're not, um, you know, recommending anything. We're just volunteers, Iona McNeil and myself. And we are bringing to you every single week the best that there is, just regular people sharing their own investing story. And so tonight our special guest is Gerald Grant III and he's gonna share with us his shirt he has on. And what is it about that shirt that we need that you'd like for us to know, please? And for yes. all that can't see it, it says, I'm building generational wealth. Yeah, so the premise of the shirt, so my father and I actually wrote a book called The Power of Generational Wealth. And what really prompted us to write the book, uh, my dad back in 2012 wrote his first book, Bold Moves to Creating Financial Wealth, which just talks about if you're not there yet, how do you get there? So the basics of financial literacy. And in working with clients over 25 years, um, he noticed that, especially for our demographics and the people in our communities, a lot of them were first-time wealth, uh, first-time wealthy individuals, right? So a lot of them were trying to figure out, all right, I've accumulated it. I never had anything to leave behind, but now there's a there's an opportunity for me to leave something behind to the next generation. So what do we do? And it it's an interesting conversation because a lot of us, because of the fact that we're first-time, uh, we're first-generation wealthy individuals you get two ends of the spectrum, right? You get one end of the spectrum that's like, I, I completely have no idea what I should do. And then you have the other end of the spectrum that's like, um, I, I had to work for everything I have. So I gave my kids an education. Um, I, I raised them till they were 18 so they could figure out the rest. I don't, I'm not worried about uh, leaving nothing behind. 
So we just wanted to create some content to just reshape the way we think about generational wealth and just start that conversation, not only within our communities, but within anybody who really wants to tap into that conversation and understand the power of generational wealth and the difference that it can make on the, on the lives of not only your kids, but your kids' kids and the kids' kids and beyond. Because statistically, even when you think at other wealthy families, 70% of wealth dies in the second generation. And there's a lot of things that play into that. But one of the main reasons of, of that is the fact that the second generation lacks the knowledge and um, the wherewithal that it takes to not only receive, but inherit, and I mean, to receive, but maintain that wealth. We've seen it time after time with some of our clients. We had a client, they uh, passed over a million dollars to their kids and within a Within 12 months, they they all spent it all. So, um, but think about it. It took you your whole life to to build up that money and for your kids to get it and spend it in 12 months. So just, just increasing the knowledge around that, one of the ways we like to describe it is think about a think about getting a brand new shiny car, right? You got your favorite car, you work hard your whole life to get it. And now you're going to just hand the keys off to your kids, right? But if they don't know how to drive, what's the likelihood of them being able to maintain the upkeep of that car and keep it safe and keep it nice and shiny, right? Very, very unlikely. But if along the way you teach them how to drive when they get it, you're not going to have any worries. And you don't have to teach them how to drive in that. You can teach them, go to a lot, get a hoopty, let them drive around the parking lot. And then when they're ready, you let them drive around, let them get on the main street. And then after that, they can get on the highway and eventually they'll learn how to drive. So the same thing applies with money. And if you start to teach these concepts to your kids, it's not spoiling them, it's exposing them. And then from there, if they're gonna get the money anyways, it don't matter whether they're spoiled or not. And if they're spoiled, they're more likely to blow it than if they're exposed to it. So just changing the perspective about generational wealth and encouraging people that it's okay to think about generational wealth and think beyond you, because I don't know about you guys, but I've never seen a hurt. I've never seen a U-Haul truck behind a hearse. So you got all this stuff here. You can't take none of it with you. So somebody's going to inherit it. So whether you're a millionaire, whether you got a couple hundred thousand, whether you just whether you just have a home, whatever the case may be, if you have anything that's gonna be here after you're gone, you have generational wealth. It doesn't have to be millions of dollars. It could be, my grandmother left me a very small amount of like 10 grand, but it was so needed at the time. I had debt that I needed to pay off and that made a huge difference in my life at that time. And it wasn't millions, but it was a, it helped me put me in a position because that debt could have been dragging me down for years and years, but now I'm in a position, all right, I'm debt free and now I can go build wealth, right? So it's not about the amount, it's about the opportunity that you present and putting your, putting the next generation in the position to, um, to be successful and have the resources to do it. You know, interesting you share that. Oh, no, that's large, no, that's a large part of why we host this show because we have not really found anybody really talking about this subject that's not selling something. Yeah. I found anybody who's talking about the subject when we're not motivated to sell something and upsell people in the sales funnel or whatever. And just we we for people who just started investing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what you're sharing actually brings to my mind of the whole idea of starting with the end in mind. And mm -hmm. actually, Clayson's book, uh, The Richest Man in Babylon, is one of my favorites. So when you said that, I was very excited. But what we want to continue to do is provide resources. So if you have any additional books, we're going to have Michelle, if you would put the, um, between Marshall and Michelle, the books he's mentioned, if we could put those in the chat on Facebook and also in the, um, in, in the Zoom chat for our listeners. But also any websites, you did give us Morningstar, uh, the Morningstar um, free classes and things like that. I also want to mention Better Investing has an enormous amount of courses. The membership, I, I'm not sure if it's still the 90-day free membership is still ongoing. 
Yes. So we'll put that information. If you go to betinvesting.org at the very bottom of the page, this is 90 day free membership. And it's been 90 days for quite a while now. So please take advantage of that. But, but like Gerald is saying, there's so many free resources. We don't have to uh, stay back where we were with the lack of knowledge. So Iona mm -hmm. and I have been focusing on the whole idea of financial empowerment. And that's basically what you're talking about because I only, I don't know, she may not remember this, but at 12, 13 years old, she told me, she said, no, mommy, we don't do financial literacy. No, we want to talk about financial empowerment. And that stuck with me mm -hmm. for a very long time because it's a big difference in being financially literate. And people want to talk about literacy and illiteracy, which is, has a negative connotation. But when you talk about being financially empowered through investment education, that's a major mindset shift. Mm -hmm. to, you know, to really uh, undergird, and we have on here, I'm not sure if he's still on with Bob Wynn and Ion, if you can talk a little in a minute about the um, youth investment, stock investment game from the summer, because those are some of the things, Gerald, we've been doing, going to your point about teaching is one thing for us to, to be blessed because of our family, but there are a lot of families that don't have your dad. Exactly. Or Ione's mom, you know, to help them in the family. And so what we're doing, Ione and I, we're broadening that family concept. And anybody who's willing to learn, Ione teaches a phenomenal class within Better Investing as a volunteer. But we are just doing everything we can uh, to expose information and expose the information to people free. Mm -hmm. Free is good. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely... Definitely needed. I mean, the empowerment piece of it is is so crucial, right? Because everything that we do revolves around money, right? And understanding every understanding the concepts of of finances, because at the end of the day, what do we all work for? We all work to obtain financial independence. That's the only reason we get up and go to work every day. So one day we don't have to work again. So if you're not working to be financially independent, you're just on a What's the little thing with the with the mouth just running? Trail mill, permit wheel. Exactly, because at the end of the day, that, that that's what you all want. That's what everybody wants. We want independence. We want to be able to make an impact. We want um, legacy. All of those things come from understanding the concepts of finances, and you can never. I'm not going to say you can never and truly enjoy everything you want. You can. Uh, money doesn't money money isn't doesn't buy happiness um, but definitely having that understanding of finances and the, the support and the foundation to give you the ability to really do what you want to do um, can help with that big difference oh I, I have a um, a question it's going back to what you started to end with and I think that this is really important too because um, uh, I'm trying to think back in 08 when I interned at Northern Trust in Chicago, you know, um, when we think about wills and trusts, mm -hmm. we underestimate exactly what you said. When you die, you are leaving stuff behind. Now, whether you consider it valuable or not, that's going to determine the actions you take or don't take. And I think we do all of ourselves a disservice because if your grandmother would have said, oh, it's only $10,000, it's not, it's, it's not a million, it's not much, then that wouldn't have been able to bless you. And I think many of us, yeah. we don't even value the, the $500 we gonna leave in the bank account or in the CD we bought 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, how important and how easy, what can people do in order to take an assessment of what they have and start to do that planning because yes, we all don't want to die suddenly, but um, sometimes you don't know when it's coming. And, and again, if you don't value the little bit that you do have and plan for it, it won't go to benefit those that you know and love. It's going to end up in probate. It's going to mm. end up in the back pages of the financial newspaper and somebody's going to be able to get it for you know pennies on the dollar. So can you just walk us through maybe the resources, what we can do even just tonight to just write something out, you know, and, and get it in order. Cause I will say the other part of it too, I found is 
a lot of institutions won't have a conversation with us about it because we don't have enough to entertain them to get paid. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, you know, it works both ways. We can't find the help because, you know, a lawyer won't pick us up and then we don't even see ourselves, uh, our stuff is that valuable to kind of leave a plan behind. Yeah, so just to touch on the last piece first, as far as the importance of it, um, and excuse my daughter in the background if you guys can hear it, but uh, if you guys can hear it, but um, it's so important to have a will and just a basic will is so often overlooked. I just had a conversation with a young lady the other day about it. She's, she's 29, but she's a homeowner and she owns it outright by herself. Right. So in the event that something happens, you can't put a beneficiary on a house. So what happens to your house? Yeah, it goes to your parents, but they got to go to probate and it costs and you got to pay an attorney thousands of dollars just to get the house that you already know you want to give to them when you can write a will for less than that. Right. Um, And then the time it takes to go through probate. So just understanding the concepts of that and then um, even little things that people don't understand. So one time we had a client, he had an account. He had pretty much exhausted the account. It was say maybe like a couple hundred dollars in it. Um, but guess what? He had to go to probate to get his, his family had to go to probate to get the $400 uh, out the account, which cost them more than $400 to get it out because they had to go through probate and they, they didn't want to just, just leave it there. So they had to go through probate for that. So putting the protection in place, he could have wrote a simple will would have passed over. Um, and Thinking about um, the concept of, especially in our community, uh, a lot of a lot of us majority our largest asset is our home, right? So, say you have a home with two kids. One kid wants to keep it, and one kid wants to sell it. Now they're at conflict. So now you just created family conflict by not by not putting the plan in place prior to them prior to you passing. So now we've seen cases where clients. They don't even talk to their sisters anymore or their their siblings because they the the that process was so messy that they're not even they don't even communicate anymore. And you could have simply put a will in place and prevented all of that. So the planning piece of it is so important. Um, and then there's other cases where there's stuff out there that they just don't know about because you didn't put it in a will or you didn't plan around it. So a lot of assets, I think. I can't remember the number, but when I was writing a book, there's like 39 billion million dollars or billion dollars of unclaimed assets that are just sitting there um, from people who pass. So um, understanding that. And then as far as resources, uh, one of the resources that we use with a lot of our clients, uh, that's a free resource, we call it a family love letter. It pretty much walks them through and, and uh, it walks them through the whole process of estate planning. It talks about what is a will. It talks about um, what is a living will, what is a pour over will, what is a trust, all of those different things. And then it goes to the details of giving you a, a, a place to store all the information. Who are your primary contacts? Who's your financial planner? Who's your insurance person? Who is your health insurance with? Um, who do you pay your mortgage with? How many times have you seen somebody pass and they can't even figure out how to pay the mortgage? So little things like that, it helps you put all of that in one place in one document for your family um, to put that together. Um, in the book, in our book, we have free resources to help kind of gather information like that. Um, and as far as as far as getting the help in an attorney, I don't recommend it, but there are resources out there where you can write, you can just Google how to put together a simple will and you can draft it up yourself and sign it and take it to the courthouse. Um, There's also a lot of times people overlook the services provided by their employer. You know how many people have prepaid legal that don't realize that those services pay for a will? And you pay for it every month and don't realize that you have the services, especially like Dade County employees. A lot of them have those services and they don't even realize that they can get those services through that. and don't take advantage of it. So understanding those benefits and and whatnot can help as well. Thank you for adding that to the list of benefits because you know um, 
on my investing story, we, we talk a lot about if you haven't already started, go to your employer and just inquire about your 401k, 403b, because there's mm -hmm. money being left on the table. Um, no different from you finding out about your healthcare plan, money, mm -hmm. money and resources being left on the table. So thank you for bringing up um, these, um, these lawyer services or legal services that is probably provided by your employer um, to help you do those personal things. So I would encourage any and everybody, if you are working, please reach out to your employer this week, find out about the other resources that are available to you as an employee so that you can maximize it and start to get this stuff together. Um, and in order to get your family love letter, do we need to email you? Do we need to go to your website? Um, yeah, you can just uh, contact me directly. Uh, I can provide a copy for everybody who's on the call complimentary if, you, if you'd like. So just let me know that you were on um, the call today and we can provide a copy of that to you all. And um, I think Michelle is going to share my information. So, Okay. Thank you for that, Gerald. So yeah, anybody that wants that from, from Gerald in the subject line, put hashtag my investing story, all one word participant and then and in the body you know tell him how much you enjoyed hearing his story on the show and ask him for the family love letter um, and I'm really glad you brought up because that was going to be one of my questions about the family love letter um, I, I think that that is a, a unique offering that you and your dad have crafted and and used because it really is a, a, a thought-provoking exercise for you to really just sit down, be still enough to figure out, um, wow, I've done all this stuff. How can I plan for the next phase of my life and, 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 and include um, the next generation or my family, you know, siblings or um, nieces and nephews for those of us that don't have our own kids. I know we still wanna leave that uh, to, to someone else. Now, one of the questions in the chat um, is asking, let me see. Um, from your perspective, Gerald, what can be done to create more of a mass movement of financial education and economic empowerment in the Black community? Um, I used to joke about this, but I was like, man, we got to make a rap song or something about it. And uh, <laughs> I think that uh, that'll help get it to be a little bit more attractive. And I think if if you really pay attention to what's going on in pop culture, a lot of artists are starting to be a lot more conscious of the topic. I know Jay-Z kind of started talking about it. Rick Ross has made mentions of it owning owning uh, businesses. And there's a lot of people I know Nipsey talked about it a lot. So there's this big wave within pop culture um, that is starting to discuss uh, building wealth and making it sexy. And I think that's one of the things that's really going to shift because unfortunately a lot of us, um, well, I'm not going to say we don't have a lot of, of uh, role models to look up to within our community, but we do. But a lot of times, we are, especially the younger generation, they lean towards athletes and whatnot to be the focal point of their perception of successful Black people when there's so many more Black millionaires and successful people that are out there, um, like your Ann McNeils, that you can just... Who are not athletes. Their stories who can really uh, teach you the importance of and what you need to do to become successful and wealthy. Um, and really understand those concepts. But I definitely think a shift in pop culture will help with that conversation. And I think we just have to be more proactive about having a conversation. And I think that's one of the things that we really wanted to push with the book, The Power of Generational Wealth, is we just need to get out there and have the conversation more. Because if we want to see the change in our communities, we got to be the one that drives it. And it's not going to be it's not going to be somebody else that comes in and wants to, to change everything. We have to start having these conversations. We got to start talking more about ownership. We got to start talking about um, investing more and, and not having all your money in a savings account or a CD. We have to start having these conversations. And I think the more and more 
we have it amongst our peers and the more and more we have it within outreach within our community, we'll start to really see a shift in, in our culture and in our communities. Now, the other question I have for you, and I know you spoke on it just a little bit briefly, but um, what's your financial vision for yourself and your family? Do you have one? If so, what is it? Yeah, so fortunately for me, I'm married well, so I'm just going to be uh, Chanel's husband. <laughs> nah, That's but, a great life goal, man. Great life, life goal. goal. Nah, but to be honest, our vision is within the next five to 10 years or so, we really want to be in a position to financially do whatever we want to do. I mean, my biggest thing, when I think about what wealth means and what success means, for me, it's freedom and flexibility of my time. I don't know what that dollar amount is yet, but I want to be able to, if I want to go and take a trip and just disconnect, I want to be able to do that. If I want to send my kids wherever, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to go to dinner without looking at the price tag on the menu. I want to be able to enjoy all of those things um, and have the wherewithal to do that. So for me, my goal within the next five five years or so, um, continue to build up our practice. Uh, we're trying to build our practice between Miami and DC to the point where it's self-sufficient, where I can make money when I'm sleeping. Um, my wife is actively building um, through franchisee, franchises. So helping put her in a position uh, where she can do the same. So just creating more um, resources to build passive income uh, is, is our goal. And the more passive income we have, the more flexibility we have. And then from there, it's just watching the checks come in. So that's our goal over the next five to 10 years, just continue to create passive income, continue to empower and give back I mean, like you talked about earlier, how do we make a difference? I think we are it, right? So how do we empower others to do the same? And that's where ownership comes in. The more businesses you own, the more people you can employ and the more people you can encourage to do the same. So that's our vision over the next five to 10 years. And that's kind of where we're, we're headed. Now, I, I didn't have this, this question planned, but it, it, uh, it just came up based on your response. Uh, when we last saw each other or the time before that a few years ago before you got married you said something very interesting to me especially being you know a young black male uh, I think at the time you were mid to late 20s and you told me your philosophy on why you got married um, could you share that just a, a, a little bit because I, I thought that it was really unique to hear from your perspective even seeing marriage as, like you kind of joke, marrying up um, and building wealth through marriage. And, and, mm. and I hadn't really heard that perspective from um, any black, young Black person before. So um, I know y'all been married a few years, but could you just kind of share that sentiment? Because we don't talk about it much on the show, but I think you have a really unique perspective that other people can um, appreciate and also learn from? Yeah, so essentially, we joke about it a lot, but marriage is like a business, right? So when you look for, when you're starting a business, you want a strong business partner that you can, um, you may not necessarily always be on the same page with everything, but you want to make sure that they're on the same page with their finances. You want to make sure that uh, you guys are building and growing together and doing things like that. And the main reason for that is, especially if you marry young, you're going to spend majority of your life with this person, right? So I know a lot of times we think, especially in our, in our generation, I want to enjoy my young life and have all the fun and get it all out while I can. But at the end of the day, the quicker you start to move in one direction, the more you can accomplish. Because if you and your partner can get on the same page and you guys are doing things together, you guys are collectively building and growing and, and lifting each other up and encouraging each other to reach their full potential, imagine how much you can accomplish, right? So just watching my wife over the last two years and the things that she's been able to do and being able to encourage her and support her to do those things, it makes me want to step my game up and encourage me to do because I feel like I'm not doing enough. Um, so as we build and grow together, we accomplish so much more. 
And they always say, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think that's a perfect analogy when it comes to a marriage, because if you find the right partner and you guys can get on the same page and build and grow together, there's so much that you can do um, and accomplish if you guys can get that one common goal and just work towards it, as opposed to you spend your whole young life chasing around, spending frivolous money, uh, enjoying yourself and doing things that don't really add value or substance. And you think it does, but when you get older, you realize that you just wasted your whole twenties doing nothing. Right. So yeah, you need to have fun and enjoy yourself, but you get to a point where you just realize if you lock in and you find that right person and then by the time you wait around and do all that stuff, all the good ones gone anyway. But that's exactly what you said to me last time. So you can have all the fun you want, but the ones that are focused and driven, they're going to be gone. So now what you going to Try to catch them on that second round. I don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They get lucky, but I'd rather have my picking at a good one at the first than wait around for the second time. You know about that first round draft pick. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. Um, I know we're wrapping up. Tell the people a little bit about um, your book and why they should get it. Yeah, so The Power of Generational Wealth is going to teach you the importance of defining what wealth means to you and how to put a plan in place um, to create generational wealth for you and your family. Uh, A lot of times there's myths and things that hold us back from wanting to put a plan in place. So this book will help uh, demystify some of those things and Help you really understand what it takes uh, to put that plan in place, who should be on your team, and how do you do it. So for anybody who is who has wealth or something to pass on or seeking to build generational wealth, I, I suggest that you pick it up. There's a lot to learn and there's resources in there that can help you uh, help you do that as well. And also these cool I'm building generational wealth t-shirts so you can let the world know and be a part of the change and help the conversation and push the agenda around the importance of generational wealth. I'm getting my shirt and book tonight. It's already in the cart. Let's go. Yeah. So thank you so much, Gerald. Uh, Gerald Grant III, I should say, because there, there is another Gerald Grant out there. Um, tell your father, your mother, your sister, we all said hello. Um, well, we I will. enjoyed having you. I think that um, everything you shared was just spot on and, and for it to come from um, where you are and your perspective and your age and uh, your uh, ethnicity and your background, I think it's going to resonate with a, a whole different group of people. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, and yeah, I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you again so much for all that you've done. And I'm going to get the book too. So make sure you sign my copy. I got you. Uh, and tell your wife and congratulations on your baby girl too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was great. It's always a good conversation when I get together with the two of you all. So uh, just excited to be here and share my story. Thank you for even considering me to be on here. And I hope that uh, for the folks in the audience that you at least took away one thing from the things that I share with you all and uh, definitely uh, open to having a continuing a conversation. So don't hesitate to reach out and um, I'll be able to provide as much resources as I can to help you all. Um, achieve your financial goals and, and create generational wealth. Right, thank you, thanks. Gerald and Ioni. But because the show, is, we're also airing this on the radio, I would like to have you to verbally share your contacts so those who are listening and cannot see the chat, they can also have a way to reach you. So if it's your website, your email, and or your phone number, however you want people to reach out to you, if you can just share that out of This is Gerald. You can find me. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Gerald Grant III. I'm on LinkedIn, Gerald Grant III. Um, you can reach me by email at Gerald3 at the gfinancialgroup.com. Also, if you'd like to reach out, you can re- you can uh, go to the website, the gfinancialgroup.com. Or to learn more about the book, you can go to powerofgenwealth.com. And all the information on there is for all the book information is on there. Also, the bold moves to creating financial wealth is on there as well. Okay, was that T H E and the letter G financial? Mm-hmm. T H E G like grant and then financialgroup.com. Perfect. And the email is Gerald3 at the 
G financial. financial. And three is in the number. The number three. Yeah. Right, very important. I just want to make sure that people heard that so that those who are listening uh, in the future, because the show is evergreen and there's a possibility that people will be able to reach out to you through the radio show also. Awesome. So as Ioni, Ioni said, we want to thank you. And if you have any other closing comments, you are Ioni before we wrap up the show. It's been great. Learned a lot. I got five pages of notes here, writing away. Well, the last thing I would just leave folks with is, is one thing that I mentioned earlier. Today's the first day of the rest of your life. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. Today's a day that you can start and change and position yourself uh, to, to achieve the goals and the things that you want. So if you haven't invested, start today. If you haven't saved, start today. Uh, if you don't have a will, put it in place tomorrow. Uh, don't let too much time go uh, before you put together a plan because We've seen too many cases where people say, I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to do it tomorrow. And tomorrow never comes. And just do what you need to do. Say what, do what you say you're going to do. Um, and just start and enjoy it along the way because life is short. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Ioni, any closing comments from you before we wrap up? Thanks, Gail. All right. All right, everybody. You've heard it from Gerald Grant III on behalf of Ioni and myself. Thank you for joining us on another episode of My Investing Story. And you can reach out to us at betterinvesting.com. Again, this is Ann McNeil, the Master Wealth Builder, helping you to build a stronger and better life and business. And we will see you next Wednesday. Right. Betterinvesting.org. Betterinvesting.org, sorry. Betterinvesting.org. Thank you. And you can find us there, betterinvesting.org. Thank you. Thanks, Ioni. Thanks, all.